Hello everyone and welcome to Oracle's News. This is Renee Thomas. I'm here to talk about some things having to do with International Criminal Court and the United Nations. How does it work and what you would probably find interesting to know about it. We want to welcome you back. We have a lot to discuss and we'll try to make it as interesting as possible. There are a lot of technicalities and things and, and details that we have retrieved directly from the sources of these institutions so that we can get to you the most accurate information possible. So does the International Criminal Court have jurisdiction over Russia and their activities in Ukraine? We will delve into this topic today, which is an interesting one. And Without reporting on the war directly, there are so many extenuating circumstances to discuss around it, and that will help to educate you about what is going on in your world. And also, I invite you to get your students to listen to this so that they can be educated as well. Einstein is thought to have said something to the effect that he wasn't sure how and what weapons would be used in World War Three but World War Four would be fought with sticks and stones. And that leads to the fact that he believed that whatever happened in World War Three would set the world back to possibly something similar to caveman times. This leads us to believe that Einstein may have known something about what was being developed that could be used in World War III. I'm sure he did know since the whole situation with nuclear war came from him and his discoveries. This makes it crucial for humans on Earth to work together to prevent World War III from happening. And many things have been put into place to help that to occur. Boris Johnson of the United Kingdom has stated that Putin is committing the what appears to be war crimes in Ukraine. We see so many images of playgrounds and um, residential buildings being bombed. However, does the International Criminal Court have jurisdiction in Ukraine where the alleged crimes are being committed and who backs the ICC or the International Criminal Court, which we'll be referring to as ICC, and finding these criminals and enforcing the court's ability to act. How important is a United Nations, which we'll call the UN, action when it comes to the ICC? It's a situation everyone is subject to, whether they think so or not, because even though the Rome statute system which is the overriding document for the ICC, That's, that system says it has jurisdiction over member states, which the Russia and Ukraine and even the United States are not considered to be member states. But it also has jurisdiction where the United Nations makes a referral so basically, yes, a United Nations referendum can put even a non-member country under the jurisdiction of the ICC. Now, we've heard recently that the United Nations has called a full body member meeting to do a vote on this situation. We'll discuss that a bit later. 
And that mostly is because the Security Council is being vetoed by Russia. Also, the prosecutor of the ICC has been reported to have said he is preparing to open a case against Russia, a non-member state. However, this takes time and it takes the participation of many countries, the United Nations, specifically for non-member states. Now, there's there's pre-investigations, there's investigations, and then there are cases so there's a there's a lot to do and it takes a long time the current prosecutor is mr karim a.a khan qc from the united kingdom his deputy with the icc is mr james stewart from canada from the looks of it most of those who have cases against them with the icc do appear to be people of color which can open another can of worms that we won't be dealing with at this time. However, Ukraine is on the preliminary investigation list for crimes against humanity that occurred over seven years ago. So think about it. The Ukraine has a preliminary investigation, not even an investigation, just a preliminary investigation where it's been found that they likely have had these crimes against humanity done that occurred over seven years ago. And we're not even in the investigation yet, but that's something completely different than what's happening today. And though Ukraine, Russia, and even the United States are not member states of the ICC or international criminal courts, Ukraine does have a relationship. It's similar to an ad hoc relationship. So they can use the ICC when they need to, even if they um, didn't become a member. But even if they didn't want to use them, a referral from the United Nations would do just fine. Now, as a judicial institution, the ICC does not have its own police force or an enforcement body and it relies on the cooperation with countries worldwide for support particularly for making arrests transferring arrested persons to the detention center which is in the Hague and freezing suspects assets and enforcing sentences so they don't have a police force like the criminal courts and your your local area does have where the police can come pick you up and and take you to jail and hold you. Um, They don't have that. They rely on cooperation with other countries. While not a United Nations organization, the court has a cooperation agreement with the United Nations. And when a situation is not within the court's jurisdiction, the United Nations Security Council can refer the situation to the ICC granting it jurisdiction and this was done with Darfur, Sudan and Libya. Now there are 10 key facts about the legal process with the ICC. The ICC does not prosecute anyone under the age of 18 and before the prosecutor can investigate he or she must conduct a preliminary examination 
considering such matters as sufficient evidence, jurisdiction, gravity, complementarity, and the interest of the justice. So keep in mind, a preliminary investigation was formed on the Ukraine from something that happened sev- over seven years ago. So we're just at the very beginning stages of this. Now, when investigating, the prosecutor must collect and disclose both incriminating and exonerating evidence. The defendant is considered innocent until proven guilty. The burden of proof lies with the prosecutor. During all stages of proceedings, pre-trial, trial, and appeals, the defendant has the right to information in a language he or she fully understands. Thus, the ICC proceedings are conducted in multiple languages with teams of interpreters and translators at work. Pre-trial judges issue warrants of arrest and ensure there is enough evidence before a case can go to trial. Before a case is committed to trial, during the pre-trial phase, the defendant is referred to as a suspect. And once the case is committed to trial, since at that point the charges have not been confirmed, the defendant is referred to as the accused. So trial judges hear the evidence from the prosecutor, the defense, and the victim's lawyers. They render a verdict, and if a person is found guilty, the sentence and decision is made on reparations. Now, appeals judges do render decisions on appeals from the prosecutor or defense. And if a case has been closed without a verdict of guilty, it can be reopened if the prosecutor presents new evidence. There is a a detention center in in the Hague also. The ICC or International Criminal Court Detention Center is used to only to hold in safe, secure, and humane custody those detained by the ICC. It is not used for enforcing sentences. Convicted persons serve their sentences in one of the state's parties that have concluded agreements on enforcement of the sentences with the ICC and have accepted to place a particular convicted person or persons within a national facility. So they will go to a federal prison in one of the countries that has an agreement to provide federal prison services for the ICC, and I'm sure they get money for that. Um, Until such an arrangement is made, a convicted person remains temporarily in the detention center in the Hague, Netherlands. Now, the media and the general public are not allowed at this detention center, but legal visits by counsel and defense members and non-privileged visits will um, be had by family members, spiritual visits, the reverend or, or priest, things of that nature. They did happen to stop those visits during the coronavirus and then reopened them recently. The United Nations is heavily involved in the international criminal courts. As we mentioned earlier, the criminal courts typically have jurisdiction with member states who have been ratified and signed agreements. And for those people in those states that have not signed or countries that have not signed agreements, they do not have jurisdiction unless the United Nations makes a referral. 
Okay, so in the chapter seven of the United Nations Charter, Article 39 says that the Security Council shall determine the existence of any threat to the peace, breach of the peace or act of aggression and shall make recommendations or decide what measures shall be taken in accordance with Articles 41 and 42 to maintain or restore international peace and security. The Security Council did vote on Sunday, February 27, 2022, to call for a rare emergency special session of the 193-member UN General Assembly on Russia's military operation in Ukraine, and that was that was meant to be held on on Monday. Now, the measure convening the General Assembly session was adopted by a vote of 11 in favor with Russia voting against it and China, India, and the United Arab Emirates abstaining. So today's request for urgent action by the assembly comes after Russia vetoed on Friday a U.S.-led draft Security Council resolution that would have deplored in the strongest terms the Russian Federation's aggression against Ukraine. Now, many people thought that was just talk. What does it matter if the United Nations takes all this time to come up with these statements saying that they deplore these acts and they demand that you stop right now? Well, it's a big deal because when the United Nations makes an official statement to a country, and tells them, stop, cease and desist right now. That is the warning that you're on your way to criminal court. Now, since the text was procedural, none of the five permanent council members, China, France, Russia, United Kingdom, and United States, could use their vetoes. The measure needed only nine votes in favor to pass. Now, Article 41 of the UN Charter says that the Security Council may decide what measures not involving the use of armed force are to be employed to give effect to his decisions. So it tries to use peaceful measures initially. These may include complete or partial interruption of economic relations, which is what we call sanctions and of rail, sea, air, postal, telegraphic, radio, and other means of communication, and severance of diplomatic relations. Now, Article 42 says, should the Security Council consider that measures provided for in 41 would be inadequate or have proved to be inadequate, it may take such action, action by air, sea, or land forces as may be necessary to maintain or restore international peace and security. Such action may include demonstrations, blockades, other operations by air, sea, or land forces of members of the United Nations. So basically, even though the United States is not a member of the ICC, they could be used to um, as a military partner to enforce United Nations rulings. 
Article 45 says that in order to enable the United Nations to take urgent military measures, members have to hold immediately available National Air Force contingents for combined international enforcement action. So if you have a military and you are a member of the United Nations, you can't use all of your military for yourself. You have to hold a contingent that's immediately available to work with these allied forces that work for the United Nations. The strength and degree of readiness of these contingents and plans for their combined action shall be determined within the limits laid down in the special agreement or agreements referred to in article 43 by the security council with the assistance of the military staff committee so there's a military staff committee that helps to determine how this deployment will take place so what happens if a member of the security council vetoes an action well then the entire assembly is called and vetoes won't count so they have a way to get around everything (laughs) So has the United Nations ever actually gone to war against a country? Believe it or not, Operation Desert Storm was under the auspices of the United Nations peacekeeping. So many people were like, why is the United United States involved? Why are we always acting like the police? Well, we work for the United Nations. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, a lot of things to understand, and we wanted to help you to understand what goes on. You have a lot of pieces to the puzzle. You have the international criminal courts. You have the various member countries that use their internal forces to arrest people and bring them to the courts. You have various member countries who will allow their national Uh, facilities or prisons to be used to detain and for those criminals to live out their sentences and then you have the UN Security Council and member states who will actually go to war for the UN if they see that international peace is not kept there are a lot of different treaties we've talked about some others and our Um, podcast recently with regard to conventions and Geneva conventions but there's a lot that goes into it and I want to remind you that even now there's only a preliminary investigation that is going on with Ukraine from over seven years ago so this is not something that will happen overnight unless they really decide to push it and it sounds like they really do plan to do that So I hope that we have taught you something and that you have gathered some information to help you to understand what you're hearing in the mainstream news. Take care and be sure to follow us for more information. Goodbye.